Hi, this is Ashley Mary Nunes. And this is Lito Velasco. And this is Jessica Cameron. Hi, this is Natalie Montera. Hi, this is Todd Nunes, the director and writer of All Through the House, and you are listening to Without Your Head Radio. This is Nasty Neal here at Without Your Head, and you're joining the Brandon Maggart interview in progress as we're talking about Lewis Jackson, the writer and director of Christmas Evil. This Christmas, Santa's <laughs> going to make everyone happy. The grown-ups. And the kids. Christmas Evil. The non-believers. <laughs> And the screamers. And this Christmas, you better believe in Santa, or he'll slay you. Merry Christmas, Frank. Christmas Evil, the night he dropped in. When I first met him, I had audition. They'd auditioned every, practically everybody they could, and somehow, anyway, I got. We, we agreed that I should do the part, and then I found out that um, that he'd spent like ten years trying to write it and raise money for it. So I thought, well, this guy's really devoted to this, and he was a film critic at the time. 
I've forgotten what publications, but he was a film critic himself, and he was invested in a lot of European films. Uh, have you have you seen You Better Watch Out or Christmas Evil? Yeah, I've seen it many times. It's, I, it honestly, not just to have you here, but he, it is uh, one of my favorite uh, Christmas horror movies. Well, uh, you know, so many people say that. Now, I, of course, I, I, let me put up right front. I know you're a horror person, mm-hmm. right? I don't like horror movies. Yeah. I, well, I do like little... movies in general. You know, I like all movies, not just horror movies, but I do like horror movies. Oh, well, I, I mean, well, specifically when I was a kid, everybody liked to tell ghost stories. Right. He probably did too when you were a kid. Sure. You know, ghost, ghost stories. Oh, they were, were scary or whatever. I, I wasn't a big fan of that. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't get a kick out of being scared for no reason. And uh-huh. it's like a, I need an, people need an adrenaline shot. I don't know. But anyway, so my interest in this film was, was his interest in it. And, uh, and uh, then, I hadn't read the whole script then. And then they get, came in the script, and I said, well, I don't, really don't know about this. And I, I knew at the time that the budget was low. So, and I knew that he'd spent most of his money on that cinematographer, Aronovich, or whatever his name was, a European guy, uh, because he was so en- enamored with his films. And uh, if you'll notice in the thing, like he references several of those things, like the footsteps running across the sidewalk and a lot of things and the music, blah, 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 blah. And his whole thing of, uh, he'll tell you, and then I found out from him that he was so invested in this that he'd researched all of the the myths and the the stories about Saint Nick and Santa Claus and the whole thing of uh, uh, good versus evil and get and all the thing about I don't know how how much you know about it but about Dirty Pete or whatever his name is they they give kids in Europe they give them a, yeah, a bucket of coal black. and all yeah yeah all that, all that stuff and. So I said, well, this guy's really interested, and so I went into it, uh, you know, full steam ahead, and uh, and it was a it was a wonderful, rewarding experience, and frustrating in a thousand different ways. And I don't think he really got the film he set out to be, but fortunately, it, it's still alive and it's around, been around for thirty years, and and as he said, it's it's a, one of those, it's a film that will never die. And uh, and I've been so surprised. Uh, you probably know because it wasn't a financial success because they didn't know how to market it. It wasn't a horror film. Yeah. And horror films are much easier to market. It was a psychological film about this impressionable little kid who'd hit that first big stomach block that we all have about the day. There ain't no Santa Claus. What do you mean there ain't no Santa Claus? Hey, your mother doesn't get fucked by a Santa, you know, all that stuff. What do you mean? I'll kill you. You know, and I'll cut my hand and the red blood's running down. That's going to set the whole theme. So he did, Louis Jackson did amazing thought about everything. As a matter of fact, I said, well, how am I supposed to feel about this guy that kills people? And he said, okay. So he set up a screening for me. Do you know the film M that Peter Laurie oh, yeah, uh, yeah. did? Okay, he set up a screening for me, uh, a private screening with the, with, well, with the man and money people and himself. And so I went to watch that. I said, why am I watching? He said, well, to see how you can have some sort of empathy somewhere or another from somebody who does uh, 
can do horrible things, but there's some part of them that, that you need to might empathize with because I don't know if you remember this back in the in the cave dungeon when they chase him back in there and and he, he they they're going to kill him and he said look you have a choice he said you have a choice you can make your decision whether to kill me or not he said when I decide to kill I don't have a choice I have to so it's uh, so it gave me some food for thought there, but I, I don't think the, the the what's his name Harry had anything. He was just a reaction. He reaction. He saw bad, and he did this, and he was a few decks short, and his card short in his deck anyway. And uh, uh, yeah, like you said, that's what makes him a sympathetic uh, villain, which to me is always the most interesting villains. Well, that's good. That's the idea. Yeah. And like you said, it isn't like a, a, a traditional like slasher movie at all. And I think uh, it is marketed that way, like the even the name and the imagery on the on the poster and stuff. So it's yeah. a different kind of. What else you going to say? He's a poor boy told there wasn't any Santa Claus. Buy come buy a ticket to see this. <laughs> right. I, I don't know. You know yeah. that's not. A, I have no idea. Yeah. Except you, I do know that uh, it is a, a different movie. And it has found an audience of uh, like yourself and so many other people say that it is their favorite uh, Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. When did you realize it found that audience? When did you realize like there there is a following for, for uh, Christmas Evil? Well, I don't know. Uh, there was uh, slowly dribbled in about uh, conventions and. Uh, they want somebody wanted me to come to to sign thing, and I couldn't. I'm I'll be 86 in a couple of weeks, so I, I, I I've been kind of and I I just I was an actor for many many years, and I had to stop because I had a, a spinal problem, and I was a total drunk. Uh, matter of fact, I was still drinking during the time of uh, of, the, of shooting, shooting the Christmas Evil. Matter of fact, while I was doing Christmas Evil. I worked every day, I think, six days a week, except for a couple of days, and that's when they shot some other police thing in the Santa. Oh, that thing of the Santa Claus says you can't arrest anybody who looks anything like Santa Claus, which was stupid. Uh, but then I did. Uh, what did I do? The Michael Caine film, uh, uh, Dress to Kill. Oh yeah, yeah. I did, did dressed to kill on those two days off, so I was, I was oh, really? working all. Yeah, and then right after that, I did the world according to Garp, and right in between, while I while I was doing this, all happened in a lot of short period of time. Uh, oh. I did the first part of the we shot the first part of the world according to Garp. I don't place called Fisher's Island. Oh. Uh, it's out in the Long Island Sound. I'd never heard of it. But uh, it's, it's a private enclave for wilt rich people, <laughs> and they have their own airfield there. And so I was flying out land and going over there, and it's one of those things where it's a small island, very small, and it's a central thing. The road goes around in the center, and off the side, you don't see the houses. They're off the side. They're down the, their driveways. They see mailboxes, and uh, very wealthy people, and 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 there's a. There's a bar, and uh, I think a post office, and a gas station. Uh, I don't know why the gas station is a part of the post office. I don't know. But in other words, and a ferry. You could go by, 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 you have to say by airplane, by 
from anywhere, but that small landing field. Or there's yeah. a ferry that went, went right over to it. You're in Massachusetts, right? Yeah, I'm on Cape Cod. So. Yeah, well, yeah. the ferry that... that yeah, we have ferries right to, here to the islands, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's how they get you. Well, then you know Fisher's Island, right? I, I, you know, I've heard of it, but I'm not, I've never been there. Well, it, it's not a, they don't, they don't really promote it. Right. For, yeah. for, they won't let for me for obvious, obvious reasons, a little privacy there. That's so right. that was a, a revelation to me there. So anyway, did part of the shoot there, and then there was a six-week break uh, when I was, uh, from that until we picked up again in, in the studios in Long Island City of the Air. The, what, what came, the name of the studios there in, 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 in Long Island City there. I can't remember the name of the studios. That's famous. But anyway, we picked up and did some of the scenes there. But during that six weeks off, I, I, I got sober. Uh, Was there... Mainly because, mainly because uh, I, I, have a, I have a large family, a bunch of kids and ex-wives and all that stuff. And I had my two youngest daughters with me. I wasn't drunk. I was hungover. And I'm walking them from a play date. They were like... They were like five and four, six and five, I forget. And uh, walking along one in each hand, walking along 111th Street and Broadway, and going across the street, a taxi came around the corner really fast, driving like crazy and screeching around. And people started screaming, yelling, jumping. I grabbed it. I already had the two girls, one in each hand, and I picked them up in the air and put them on the sidewalk. <laughs> And he he went on around and and I yelled, "You son of a bitch!" I thought that's I thought that's what I said, but later on my daughter Amber, Maud Amber, said, "No, Dad, you said G Jack something." So I apparently called him a jackass. I don't know if I ever called anybody a jackass, but I I assume that's what I must have said. Well, for a cab that's going that fast, he's either trying to get away from something or get to something, and for somebody to call him jackass. For him to screech to a halt, that questions about what the fuck is going on here, you know. Yeah. But anyway, he stepped out of the cab, and he was a. You remember Franco Harris, the fullback for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Yeah. I don't know if he had a brother or not, but if he had a brother, he would have been Franco <laughs> Harris's big brother. And with a big afro, he jumped out and started walking towards me. And I said, "Oh my God!" All I could see, I had, I had some big rings on his hand, a flash on. Why I recognized that. So I, I, I had my uh, sconce, my two daughters, and some uh, stand bystanders there. I said, "You got uh, here." To, I said, "Some little, some young boy," and he said, "He couldn't do it. He couldn't do that kind of thing." And a couple of the older women uh, held the girls, and I said, "I have to take care of this." And I, I, there was no question about it. He was coming after me, so I went after him. And we got in a fist fight. within not much of a fist fight. He hit me, and I went to the floor. <laughs> I swung with everything I had, and he did too. And I ended up on the on the pavement there. And he jumped back in his cab and sped off. Which, uh, and uh, so I, I I I was on my back. I looked up. And it was like a. Uh, surreal kind of thing where people gathered all around me and I, as I said I wasn't drunk but I was hung over I wasn't at my fighting best I used to be a boxer but I, I, I looked up and it was just faces looking down at me and there was one face looking down it was an elderly uh, Negro gentleman he looked like Uncle Remus 
had that white silver hair and soft spoken. He looked down at me and said, You shouldn't do that in front of the children. It was like an echo. It was like, Holy shit. <laughs> and and it, they, everybody disappeared. That guy, too. I don't know. And anyway, I ended up in the hospital with such stitches of my little girls. But I never had another drink after that. Was it hard to what? Uh, was it hard to? I mean, you have a, a an experience there to to want you to stop drinking. But was it hard to uh, to stop? Did you go to meetings? Well, I'd stopped several. I went to AA, but I was, I'd stopped a couple of times. I stopped once uh, on my own for a year, and then uh, I, I, we knew I, I had a drinking problem. Because, you know, you're an actor too, right? <laughs> we get depressed sometimes. Like looking for a job and got a responsibility. The easiest thing is to have a drink. Matter of fact, I don't know if you do or not. Or did. The whole thing is, if you had, when you first have a drink when you're a kid, or you first have a kiss, your first love, or if, 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 there's a certain high you get, and you chase that fucking high the rest of your life. And there's a, there's a how you get by being on stage, and you work, you come out there and the crowds are going crazy. You get off and it's really quiet. You either go home and quiet there, you go to a bar, and and if you're on a road, if you're on a national tour or something, you go to a bar and where all the all the uh, other people there, especially the chorus girls who are very nice, <laughs> and you end up getting in trouble that way. But. Uh, uh, but I, 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 and then I ran into a, a, a actress named Tamara Long, and she was like a psychic kind of person, and she got started on the right road, and that was right before I, then I, I had that fist fight with one of my little girls. And I, it was either either that or 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 die. I, there was no, I didn't have a choice. And that's like I say, I, I, I cut myself off. That, that one year that I, I stopped, then I went with my lady at the time. I went to a birthday party. And I, so everybody's sitting around having margaritas. And I'm sitting there, everybody's having a good time. And having, I loved margaritas. And so I reached over and I took a sip of my lady's margarita. I said, damn, that was good. And then I had another sip. And within six weeks, uh, I was in worse condition than I was before the when I'd stopped uh, the year year earlier. Yeah. So uh, there was no. I really didn't have a choice. Yeah. It was I. It was this or die. And so thank God I did because I've had a wonderful life. After that, my my life after that has been really. I I, I don't know how I got so lucky. Uh, I, I anyway. actually quit drinking. Yeah, I quit drinking last November, so a little over a year ago. Yeah, was that tough for you? You still? Um, st- it wasn't really tough, uh, honestly. Which I mean, that might sound bad, but uh, I was uh, very unhealthy in lots of ways, and so I quit drinking and I changed my diet. I've lost 140 pounds since uh, yeah. last November, but uh, yeah, I feel mu- I feel much better. And uh, the one thing that, like you. St- uh, the one thing that I was worried about was I didn't think I would be as funny like uh, on the shows because some people would think I'd be funny when I was, you know, at least in my mind. They thought I thought people thought I was funny when I was drunk or whatever. But uh, so that right. was uh, that was that and at events like uh, at festivals or conventions uh, in social gatherings. It, w- it, it was hard the first stuff you of those to be around a lot of you people. Have, that, you, you do have to readjust. But yeah. uh, you, you probably have noticed 
drunk guys are fun, funnier to them themselves. Than, right, uh, right. Uh, the, the only the only person I ever saw that was funnier drunk than sober was my partner on Sesame Street, Jimmy Catusi. I don't know if you ever know knew Jimmy, uh, oh. and he, he did uh, he did a lot. He was on the David Frost show and Truth Lily Tomlin. We we worked together at the upstairs and the downstairs, and then we did the first year of Sesame Street. It's Buddy and Jim. They're, they're, you can look them up on YouTube now. They're quite, quite yeah. popular. Uh, yeah. But but he was the st- funniest guy you ever saw a drunk. And he was like a stream of consciousness drunk. Yeah. How did, <laughs> Excuse me. How did, you know, how did that come about, uh, the first season of uh, Sesame Street? Because, you know, you uh, it's the first season, so you don't know it's going to become this iconic show. Oh, well, Jimmy and I were doing these sketches. I used to, I, it's a place called Upstairs to Downstairs, and I, I started out there covering. Julie Smock, the impresario, saw me and Dame Yankees and some are come in, and they opened this new club there called the Upstairs to Downstairs, and they had uh, six people, three guys and three girls, and he said it was already cast, but he wanted me to cover the three guys, but I, I'd get, I could be a waiter. It turns out I made more money waiting tables than the than the actors made in the show, and it turned out it. Then I stopped doing that and just got involved with the place itself, and and I ended up writing and performing there myself later on. But in the beginning, I just used it. As a, I'd go and do a film or a movie and come back. And always have my job as a waiter there. So that's that was a crutch that like saved my life. Because I always I had, you know, always started out with a few kids and kept picking up more kids. So I had a big nut to crack every month. Yeah. Uh, but uh, listen, stick with the don't stick with it because you, and people say your life will change and it will. You know, and you say you have a weight problem or that. You have you have a lot of problems that I don't think I ever had really a big weight problem. But they're problems, which whatever they are. And so if you stick with them and not give in for to get to that high of getting really, you know, eating four cakes at once, you get that sugar high. And you can never get it again. You can never get that first high. You just keep chasing it. And then you catch then the, the people who do drugs. Uh, they think, oh, that's a drug. And then they chase, oh, they got to have more drugs to get that. Then they got to have more drugs to get that. And they never get, you can't get it again. So mm-hmm. uh, logically, you have to stop. And it, it's, it's, a lot of people don't do it, believe me. Uh, I, 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 thank goodness, I sent a lot of my, uh, well, a few of my children are clean and sober. And they've stuck with it for years, but some of my, some so many of the people you go to, they they're there and then they're gone. My daughter works in uh, my oldest daughter works in a, a home for for uh, a, a residency for for drug addicts and for women and drug addicts and and alcoholics and they're just repeat people. They they come in, they get detox, they get told, get back out on the street again, and they shoot up again, and they're back in there. So rarely ever, she comes to him and tell, tells me horror stories every night about somebody committed suicide. She got somebody got mugged, somebody this, and she's back there again. Somebody with a knife did this, and she, there was a really you know smart people. But one of my uh, my granddaughter's. Uh, 
boyfriend overdosed, and he was a brilliant young man, and he was uh, uh, he just all of a sudden he poop and he's gone, and it just about wrecked her life, seeing him do that. So God bless you if you can stay away from drinking and uh, and of course you know you got your food problem too. But, uh, yeah, well, like I said, I, I was almost 340 last November, and uh, I'm just about 200 now. So it's 140 pounds I've lost. So I'm very happy with that. Well, I weigh more than you do now. I weigh, oh, okay. <laughs> I weigh like 220 now myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about have, the, I, the high, about the like the high you said, I walk every day, like uh, at least six miles, and uh, that does uh, that does give me a different high. It's like uh, I do that every day. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, I what, find if I walk outside. Do you still outside. get your food high? Do you still get your food high as uh, well? Uh, well, I well I like to eat, I, and I like to cook too. But I just I make better food, oh, I so I eat a lot of seafood, and chicken, and a lot of vegetables. It's, it's almost and, sinful if you really like to cook and you're really good at it that you have to just pass it off to somebody else. You know, yeah. it's, it's hard to take just one or two servings. It, it, you got to fight on your hands. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, find I, you know, I research my own uh, things, and I, I make my own food, and I just make better stuff. But I still eat well. Just eat well, I, I do too. Thank God, it's my oldest daughter takes care of me a little bit here. But I, I, of course, I grew up in the South eating fried food. But, but <laughs> right, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I was thinking about it. But uh, I, in California, I ate a lot of avocados and tomatoes and. All sorts of vegetables and yeah, and and lettuce and so forth and yeah, it is a little I, easier to eat well in like cities. Uh, you know, there's a there's easier to find like a healthy food. I find. Oh yeah, I, I visit, go back and visit. I swear to God, I I don't even visit there. I'm from Tennessee, small town in Tennessee, and like uh, it it's nothing. I, I you don't recognize it now, and it's uh, it was like really the old time. Wonderful small town. Uh, well, it was probably one. I, I make it sound better than it was, but uh, there was one little the paper, paper there, the Carthage Courier, and uh, there was not much news in it except you know somebody went to a church meeting or somebody got a new car, shit like that. You know, and of course they covered the football games and stuff like that. But terrific, but. There was never any violence. Now, I've subscribed to that paper all these years, and I keep getting it. And I've been in touch with them because I've been writing some articles for it along, along the way. And, uh, of course, I, you know, I don't that, – that whole part of the South is not – it's still Trump country. And uh, uh, any, anyway, uh, uh, I, I, I said to the editor, I said – I've seen your paper like every week. There's like three drug busts, nine car crashes, and f- fires and murders. And I said, "What happened? That's not it, the town's not much bigger than it was before." He said, "Well, that's because of the the interstate highway connects it more to Nashville, and because it's like almost now, it's almost fifty miles away. It's almost like a suburb, and it's spilled over. So the drug people, Everett companies, come in and." Uh, crowded around this little town and just awful yeah. anyway i ride along yeah well I was real, on that sort of subject there you mentioned you're going to be 86 soon um through Two those weeks, 86 yeah. years 
have you ever seen like the country so divided, like politically, by by? Oh, it, by oh God, no, no. It's and I, I've been writing about it too. It's like it's like it's like. Well, in Tennessee, we're in the area there uh, where I, where my family grew up. There were no plantations. Uh, maybe a few around somewhere, but nobody in my family had slaves or anything. And so uh, even during all that time, families were divided. You know, brothers against brothers and cousins and so forth would go to the north fight for the Yankees and some of the south to fight. And some of them would just didn't fight at all. They hid out in caves and shit, you know, <laughs> like that. So uh, it, it's... It, it's uh, uh, what'd you ask me? I got lost. I'd be amazed. About the, you know, just the, the, the country being so divided. Oh, yeah. It's just, even, everybody will tell you that. Like families, uh, fathers and daughters and sons and mothers and everybody, and, and people I knew that, uh, that I had no idea that they were uh, so conservative and so uh, greedy and, uh, uh, I don't know. And the the hypocrisy of uh, uh, Trump said, uh, has uh, has taken over the 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 the, the, the evangelist, and but he he didn't he didn't agree with him. He just he's just picking up that vote, you know. And so they will back him, and they don't see that he's got his, it's he's running a Ponzi scheme on uh, same on the whole country. Well, the, what, I don't know if you're watching today. I tried to watch, got up early and been watching it all the time. Like, it, it's, I think we're going to get him. I keep saying that all along, and then the next time they say, oh, no, he's, he's okay. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. So anyway, didn't you think you want to ask me? Yeah, yeah. So a um, couple things about the Christmas evil. Um, now, in 1984, when the Silent Night, Deadly Night comes out, like Cisco and Ebert are really against it in the in uh, the media and stuff. But uh, was there any of that backlash in 1980 when Christmas Evil came out? I don't remember really. Oh. I don't remember about backlash. It, it almost went unnoticed. It was like yeah, because uh, I don't. I'm not even sure it opened theatrically, and I know it got some reviews in small. Place I don't know, so it wasn't really exposed. It's kind of like been hidden away, and it got eked out and pirated and, and all that kind of stuff. And then trauma, trauma is that trauma that that's yeah of, trauma yeah trauma yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. They picked up on it, and they had to, but what, the, the, now it's on Showtime Beyond. I think's what it's called. Yeah, I think Did it's even it's on, on Shutter. Yeah, I think it's on a shutter. There's a lot of there's so many streaming sites now, uh, you know, platforms where people can watch things, you know, online. I think it's on right. shutter. It might be on a few different ones. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do. I'm supposed to have a piece of that movie, but I've never seen a penny. But I know that he's he's never made any money, so I don't I don't yeah. see anything now unless sometime after I die, my my grandkid might want a dollar and a quarter. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I. I, it, it just went by unnoticed, except for the people who picked up on it. It's like out here. I, I haven't been lately. It was Christmas screening out here in one of the local theaters over in Boys Town there. And they go over and meet, and they have a big showing there and a festive thing. 
and all over the country they have them. But uh, it's uh, since um, since you're not you weren't a, a horror movie guy, and since you didn't make money on the movie, uh, what are your thoughts on the movie? Like, was there ever a time like you didn't like to? Yeah, talk about? I never. When I said when I was doing it, and I read it, and I was having my my integrity of doing the character and everything, I was really happy about it. But then when I saw it, I said, "Oh shit, this is it's like you know, a, a flimsy kind of thing." And and I, I hated some of the cutting. Uh, it was too long, and a lot of things were was too slow and going sections and so forth. So it could still use some editing, but but the copy that's out now, I have, I I took it off Showtime. Here, it's a really good uh, 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 copy of it, uh, and uh, it's all right. And I like it better now than, than when I first saw it, because I was I had such high expectations when I, yeah. but when I first saw it, I said, oh man, especially when the the thing with the some of the scenes with the. Uh, the Santa Claus people lined up, and but see, I, let me interject here. I didn't realize that some of the things, like trying to get down the chimney, and he's beating on things, get down, and he, and they, of course they chase him with torches. Where the, the people didn't have torches then, you know, and of course, in the, and what my favorite part of the movie at the end when he goes off and crashes through the gate and goes through the air, his van. That he's dolled up to look like Santa, you know, Santa's sleigh. He goes across the moon and said, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. After going through all he'd gone through, was he lived in his head. And all this stuff, and like when it comes out in the beginning, he opened up and he, he said, he had me dance around the room like that. Well, this guy's, he's not normal. And he might, he would do something like that. Then there's the thing about uh, I don't know how familiar you are. The, uh, he, he gets so frustrated once he comes home, he's frustrated, and he grabs a, a toy soldier there. And it wasn't even in the script, but I, I started humming the thing and humming and humming. And he gets so mad and crazy, I, I break it, and all of a sudden, then he cuts the little kid and the blood running down his hand. Yeah. So uh, it's just I I I justified it all. He couldn't get down the chimney because he's frustrated. Not necessarily that he couldn't get down an actual chimney, but that he he, he couldn't do what he's supposed to do. There's always somebody throwing something in his way to stop him from doing what he was, thought he was supposed to do. It was out. I don't know. We taught the little kids and out in the. I don't know, that scene when they're out in this. It was like below zero. God, I remember that. Out in the alley there, and the little kids come up and take Santa's part, and and then I don't know if you remember that, but uh, they come and take some Santa's part, and and the parents want to stop, and the little, one little girl picks up that off and hands it back to Santa, because <laughs> the kids love Santa Claus, and he he can understand why the grown-ups don't see what he's doing, and he takes off. That's when the whole chase starts, and down the hill and into the truck, and and that. People yeah. chasing him like like they did back during those days in the European films when chasing yeah, him. like that's what I like about that. Even though, like you said, it's not really something that would happen in this time period, but I like it because it it does remind me of like an old Frankenstein movie or Universal monster movie where they're running right. the, and, the, the, happened, the monster. and all that stuff. Really, just it, it it that doesn't really happen. It, the people are chasing him. Might not have had torches, but he's he saw them as yes. having torches. 
Yeah. He felt they were chasing him with torches. Maybe he'd watched horror movies. Who knows? But Which he, also, uh, the Universal Monster movies are always sympathetic, too. Like, Frankenstein isn't... He's a monster oh, right, because yeah. he can't really help himself. It's not really that he's a monster. So it, 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 it really Mel, plays along with the idea of the movie. Especially Mel Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes. Young yeah, Ronnie Graham was my best friend. He worked on Mel Brooks a lot. Oh, really? Uh, and uh, he had those things, several of his movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, and when you talk to fans of the movie, like later on, how do they interpret the ending? Too, all of them kind of get the idea that it is it a sad, or does some people think it's literal? Oh, I just like, I don't talk to him. Not that many people that I know are really interested in the movie. Oh. Uh, but uh, when, when I read online, and people, I have I have a fan base, and they have all this. On, if you can go on to my Facebook page, I don't know if you've ever gone there. I yeah. have a Facebook. Page and I, I mean, I've written a lot. Of oh, you have like a regular, yeah, Facebook page, and it, uh, and it has a lot of some fan base. And just look up Brandon Maggart uh, on Facebook. Yeah, and and uh, then I have a thing about my books that I write. Matter of fact, right now I'm working on a, an audio version and a print version of my oh, nice. my fifth fifth or sixth book uh, that I've just finished recording, and so it should be out in in. Uh, in January, February, it's the latest, and it's called "Where Possums Dance and the Willow Sings," uh, and it's, uh, it's a kind of a, uh, uh, it's so hard to describe, uh, but it's it's uh, uh, it's over. It covers four million years. <laughs> All right. Mostly well, just two, but for mostly two hundred years, and mostly the last uh, eighty-six years. Uh, but it just—it covers all uh, of uh, life and death and God and anything and math and like uh, Fibonacci numbers. The uh, what is perfection? Is there perfection? Is there? Is there? A, when you fall in love the first time, you promise you're going to love each other uh, throughout eternity. What is what does that mean throughout eternity? Is there an eternity? I'm, I'm trying to give it a short shrift here, but I've investigated about like the last ten years in those thoughts, and so it should be out pretty soon. I mean, and hopefully in February. And it's it, of course it, people have been other books. I haven't rec- done audio version. Are you into audio books? I am because I like to listen to them when I'm walking. Well, uh, well, I just listened to, uh, I heard you paint houses, uh, before I watched, um, uh, the Irishman. Well, audio books I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. You, you, you don't yeah. see it. You have the, you have oh, the I know. book and, you, and then you hear it. Yeah, I listen to them while I'm walking because you know I can I can put them in my on my uh, phone and listen to my in right. My, in my so uh, I've yeah. been advised that people said because apparently people like to hear my voice and uh, this so uh, I've recorded this book and so I uh, I'm not even sure I want it to be a success because it's so private, uh, but I do want it to be uh, available to people who are in the arts. Who throw themselves out into this this world uh, of living outside the normal 
things of having freedom of thought and, and mobility and being on stage or writing songs or poetry or being in a dark room working at a math problem or, or something, uh, trying to re- relate it all to life. So hopefully it comes out with uh, comes across in my book. So I'm some in, of it. I was in, I saw yeah, I saw a little video on your website where you were talking about your movie Whiskey Women and Banana Peels, which is an excellent yeah, title right. and definitely has Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh I, w- I would like to check that out. Where can people get your books? Amazon. But the the first book I wrote was called Papa's Footprint. And everything in that, then I wrote a trilogy from Papa's Footprint. But that's one of those, of that trilogy. Then I wrote another novel called My Father's Mistress. And then I wrote, uh, I'm working on this one now, which I take from those, from all the other books, what I've learned and what I've, some of the stories. I'm a storyteller, so I tell a lot of stories in it. Uh, you know, it's, the title of it is, of course, where possums dance and the willow sings. You can relate to that. We can look and see. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that picture of it. I have a picture of my cover. Uh, out. You can look at it and see, kind of get the gist of what the book is kind of like. A lot of old guy telling stories. You know? <laughs> well, I like it. I'm into it. What, what, what like made you want to pursue acting? When were you interested in it? And like, Oh, just I'd... right away in high school. Uh, I didn't, uh, I was only interested in football and girls and the English, my math teacher wanted me to be in a play. And I said, I don't want to be in a play. She said, she gave me a play called The Valiant. It's a one-act play. I don't know if you know the play. It's a one-act play. And uh, we did it and somebody from Hollywood came in and saw me just do a run-through and and said, went crazy about what, what, how talented I was, and I, I should go to New York, but I didn't. So I went to, I did a lot of plays and sang, and, and, and then went to university. I sang operas. I did operas and plays, and I won a scholarship to go and study in New York. And then I got on the stage, started doing, started out singing at Radio City Music Hall and Glee Club over there, and then I went into musical comedies, and then I got on Broadway and. Did a lot of Broadway, mostly flops. My only big hit was Applause, and I got a Tony nomination for that, for playing the playwright in that. But I did with, with Carol Channing. I played with her, and I toured with Howard Keel and Jane Powell, and, and I played Luther Billis and Jane in South Pacific. I've done a, a skillion uh, TV series that flopped, a t- Broadway shows that flopped, closed out of town, and I'm still here, as they say. Yeah. Uh, because uh, you probably know that, in, in you're in the union, right? Uh, no, I'm not. Are you, or, in the actors' union, even if you're in it, it takes you know something to get in there. And if you're in the union, usually about less than five percent of the actors work. Everybody else got to have a, another job, right. right? And some of the rest of it's like our economy. The top one percent make ninety uh, percent of the whole thing, and the rest of us. They used to call us fungibles out here. Uh, it was like if we, there was a t- like a, a stratum of uh, really good actors that weren't nobody would buy a ticket for, but they're really good. And so they had the if they were to cast something, they'd pay all the money to the big star, and if they'd have minor roles, and they'd say, well, they can pick really good people unless the star wanted to pick out their own, 
which I've been picked out a couple of times. But uh, then they said, well, uh, Castillo, and they said, I'm not going to do it for that money. And they said, okay, we'll take the next guy. And they were, we were fungibles. In other words, they didn't give a shit. They had so many good ones, and it could fit that role, and everybody's going to be happy with it. But if, you, if you'd work for the money they offered. So they called us the fungibles. Yeah. So I mentioned, you know, you mentioned about you know quitting drinking stuff. Was it hard to to step away from acting? Well, I, I, it was really hard because I had to stop because I I stopped lo- I started losing my I was always called a quick study. I could look at a page and pretty much get it. But then as I got uh, really up in sixty or something like that, I noticed it was getting more difficult to memorize, and then it got to get worse, and then. Uh, and then, of course, then I had the back problem. I could barely walk, and I had surgery, fi- surgery finally when I was 80. So I was in terrible pain up until then. But now I'm not in pain, but I'm old. <laughs> but anyway, I, I got so that I was afraid to show up because I did a lot of shows, and I could see old people show up, and they would be right in the crux of doing something and forget their line. Of course, they have to go back and reset the cameras and, and do it all over again. So I said, dude, how can And all of a sudden, I was kind of like in that. So I said, no, this is no good. Uh, so by that time, I'd, uh, I've never been a big spender. I'd saved enough money to buy groceries and help my kids along and have a house. And uh, so I painted for 10 years. I had a, a painted, well, I painted for... Ten years, I have my house is covered with uh, paintings of mine. They're mostly paintings of uh, of uh, old jokes. Uh, when my daughter Justine was killed many years ago, and I was I was destroyed, I and I, could, I was doing a series, and I they had to write me out almost. I couldn't stop crying, and but then I would also one day I remembered out of the blue, I remembered a, a story that my I remember hearing when I was a kid, a couple of them. One was about uh, 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 four guys shot down, and and it weren't. It wasn't a, a dirty. There's some blood of them were dirty, but this was four guys that shot down in the South Pacific, and they on they had to eat all their food except the one one last piece of cheese, and it's not. Uh, it isn't. It's not enough for to have a part of a bite each. They got to decide somewhere to give the last piece of cheese to one guy. So the story was about that. And I thought, well, how would I, I was sketching things. How would I put that, if you didn't know the story, how would I sketch it, sketch it and put it on there and paint the sketch and do it on like on a photograph, like, like one cell thing that would tell the whole story or give you, it would indicate a narrative. In other words, if you knew the story beforehand and you saw that one picture, would it evoke a memory of a story that you'd heard before? Right. So that's why I, I did that for 10 years. Yeah, I saw some of the walking. pictures on your, on your website. Yeah, you saw some of those. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So, so would but, you say that uh, that the painting and writing and, and doing the audiobooks that um, that's a similar creative like uh, outlet for you since uh, since you know well that's the whole that's the whole deal is to find is to be interested in something now you have a uh, this uh, podcast or whatever you're doing you, yeah. that's something for you to do. If you didn't have something to do, you'd go fat, bat crazy and drunk and and, and weigh <laughs> yes. nine hundred pounds in a week, you know. Right. 
So uh, that's the key to keep keep an interest. So uh, my mind, I always had an inquisitive mind as a kid, and it's been with me the whole life, which has saved my save me. I wake up every day think, thinking of something interesting I'd thought that I should, should add to an earlier thought I'd had. Or, I, I just, I've been blessed with that. I've always thinking about the next thing to write about and how that ties to this thing to write about and how the seed from the first one led to the three and then led to another then led to this one which confines down to try to cut down all those pages down to enough pages then to add to other my, what I've concluded after doing all that and to, to concisely put into a book and then, then record it has been very fulfilling and so uh, otherwise I, uh, even though I have a lot of kids and family that keep me uh, uh, busy thinking about and concerned about but still you're alone you wake up in the morning and you're alone you go to sleep and you're alone for well, I used to go to sleep with a lot of women, but uh, I got too old for that. <laughs> and, and so uh, I go to sleep with my thoughts and my, and my writing and so forth and wake up the same way. Anyway, so stick with your, uh, your podcast. Or, write, do you do writing on your own, too? Um, well, next week I'm flying out to L.A. to work on my first feature film. So that's a very exciting week from today. Uh, to your, uh, a screenplay? Um, well, we already have the uh, the script, and uh, so we're gonna start. We're gonna film it uh, next uh, next week. We'll start it next week. I'll be out there for a couple weeks. What do you mean? You're producing it in it? Or uh, yeah, produce it? Uh, producing, and uh, I'm also have a. Yeah, I'm also gonna be in it. Yeah, uh, where I you made shoot? a short. Um, I, I don't know the exact location. It's actually in the mountain. We, uh, rented a, uh, a small cabin in the mountains and we're going to film it. And, uh, the, I had made a, a, a small, uh, short film with the, with the same people. It's, uh, that's in the festivals right now. It's been doing well and won some awards and stuff. So it's exciting to, to work with them again and, and for a feature film. All right. Keep with that. Mm-hmm. Stick with that and don't drink. And enjoy your meals, but not too much. All right. All right. Sounds okay. good. Okay. And right. I'll give you a number to Lewis Jackson. All right. I and good luck it. to you, pal. Good luck. Thank you. I, yeah, I really enjoyed talking with you. All right. Here you go. Bye. Yeah. Have a good day. Bye.
boy, these woods sure are spooky. The Headless Horseman is supposed to be on the prowl here. There he is! Whoa! Hit the deck! He's coming back! Duck! <laughs> These things happen when you don't tune in to Without Your Head Radio. Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by the team of Expedition Bigfoot, Bryce Johnson. Yes. Yes. Dr. Maria Mayer. Here. Hello. Excellent. Russell Accord. Here and present. Thank you. Excellent. And Roddy LeBlanc. How are you? There he is. So this starts this Sunday on Travel Channel, and first of all, I'll give everyone an idea of what Expedition Bigfoot is. Expedition is a three-week-long investigation into uh, the myth and legend of Bigfoot, and using boots-on-the-ground uh, investigation with high-tech technology uh, to uncover proof of the existence of Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. So how how did all four of you how did all four of you guys get together? Did you know each other before the show? So I didn't know the other team members. Travel Channel approached me because of my background as a scientist and explorer. I spent nearly two decades traveling to very remote regions around the world looking for rare and elusive animals and had made a scientific discovery of a brand new species of primate several years back in Madagascar. And so they approached me um, to be a part of this team. But everybody has a different uh, story as to how they got involved. Yeah, really, it was about finding uh, the best team that we can we could with different skill sets. So Russell was was great because, you know, he's a survivalist, ex-military, a hunting expert, and he has a vast knowledge of all things Bigfoot. Uh, so he's really part of that flesh and blood camp that's so integral to, uh, you know, hunting this creature down. Whereas Ronnie LeBlanc is also a uh, Bigfoot expert but has a vast knowledge of, uh, you know, Native American ancestry and lore and... Uh, not only that, but he, he wrote a book called Monsterland, which has a lot of high strangeness qualities, uh, which you can't ignore when you're trying to uh, look into this Bigfoot lore. Now, since uh, Moret, hey, go on, sorry. You're just a pretty, <laughs> all right. Like, you always need that on the show as well. <laughs> yeah. Since, uh, no, since Maria no, is a doctor, no, I'm, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. I was just wondering, like, what do your other colleagues think of... Uh, you, uh, your interest in Bigfoot? So I've had several colleagues now, and that's obviously a thought that had crossed my mind because there's a stigma surrounding this subject, particularly around scientists. Um, I've had several colleagues reach out to me and say that they're incredibly excited that I'm a part of this, that I'm open-minded about it because, as it turns out, they've had experiences of their own that they had not come forward with. So the, the, the response has been incredibly supportive. Um, I'm sure that there are going to be people who remain skeptical and critical of my involvement, but I truly feel as a scientist, it's part of my job to uh, investigate 
and to communicate those findings. And that's all I do on the show. I, I didn't come in there with any sort of expectations. All I wanted to do was go out there and find evidence. Mm-hmm. Now, I know uh, Russell's a survivalist, and I know it's not like a survivalist show, but is part of the experience of the show you were out in, in the wild? What I, I did a lot of the remote stuff. I would, since it was just me, uh, a four-wheeler or a truck or anything else, it was easier for me just to climb the, the cliffs and get into the hard spots, overview the stuff. I had some ideas in mind that I wanted to hit certain areas, and had such a short amount of time to get there. It was just a matter of just uh, going full on and running towards the spot and then just start circling the area, looking for what I wanted. So you're right, it was not a survival show, but it was more of just the down and dirty search. It doesn't because it's like a cooler full of beer. It was about getting out there and doing the heavy research, which is the same thing that uh, Ronnie and Dr. Maria did. But I took on the more far away locations, and they, they were able to, take care of a lot of the stuff that was pretty far away, but I wanted the more outreaching areas. Yeah, this was a densely wooded uh, area in Oregon that, that, that doesn't have a lot of human traffic. So, yeah, there, there's an element of danger and there's an element of seclusion as well. So. Any, any time that you go into the wild, there's, you know, calculated risk, right? There's some sort mm-hmm. of nature. In this case, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, bear activity, uh, cougars, um, and then, of course, there's just simple injuries that actually could happen while you're out there quite easily, and you have, because of the remoteness of it, you have no access to an immediate um, evacuation or, or medical care. So having experience in the field uh, was pretty essential to this expedition. We were trying to immerse ourselves in a habitat that isn't necessarily human hospitable. And uh, it was it was rough, but we had all the experience to sort of back it up and fend for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, why why did you guys pick Oregon? Well, Oregon was uh, was basically screamed out at us. We used a uh, what we wanted to do was as opposed to going to a Bigfoot sighting after the fact, which is how most research is done. Um, one idea was to get ahead of the creature, and that meant you know, creating a complex algorithm, basically plotting all the different sighting points and looking for patterns. And uh, we actually hired a data analyst, and once he ran that through his program, it spit out about three to five different hotspots in North America and uh, one of them in particular sort of jumped out as the best place uh, to find Bigfoot. Not just the best place, but the best time. Uh, it gave us about a three-week window of opportunity. And so that's how we ended up choosing Central Oregon. Now, uh, being out there, was there any injuries that, to any of you guys? Well, nothing being that we can wild. talk about. Uh, nothing that we right, can don't talk spoil about. the show. Yeah, no, that should sort of allude to you that, yeah, there probably might have been. But it was it was pretty dramatic. I only died four times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad that you've recovered from the death. <laughs> Let's just say so those I know- in this room. <laughs> so, uh, Ronnie, the Bigfoot uh, researcher. How did, how did you come about to be interested in Bigfoot? Was there like one moment or were you just like something you were always interested in? 
Yeah, no, I had a I had an encounter with something when I was about 11 years old in uh, uh, woods near uh, in Massachusetts where I live. And, um, you know, it wasn't until about, you know, 10 years later where I really started kind of looking more into these kind of encounters. And, and I was just kind of hooked as a kid. But I think the, uh, the research took a serious turn when I was trying to figure out what happened to me. Uh, what I experienced and uh, just kind of brought me down this path and led me to write a book and a podcast and, and just coming from a believer standpoint, I think people were more willing to come and share their encounters and stories with me. So I kind of became like this, uh, a magnet for that kind of stuff. And they knew that if they came to me to talk about things, I wasn't going to make fun of them or, um, you know, push them away. It's more of a, uh, people kind of share their experience with me that I, I believe them. Um, so that was the, the real, kind of push for me to kind of do this uh, passionately and really all my free time uh, to kind of focus on this. Yeah. Whereabouts in Mass? Because I'm in Massachusetts. Oh, uh, right. Central Massachusetts. Uh, Lemister State Forest. All right. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the Cape. Ah, nice. How about, how about the rest of you? Have any of you ever had your own encounters besides the show? I've had some things that, uh, this is Russ. I, I've had some things that have happened to me in the forest that, uh, as far as vocalizations or sounds that I don't put the Bigfoot stamp on, but it has the earmarks of everything that I've heard through testimonials about what Bigfoot would do. So it's, it's been a lot of that sort of thing. I've never had a class A face to face sighting with a Bigfoot before. Um, I was brought into the show. I've never had anything that profound yet, but as a researcher, that's just, that's what you're always looking for anyway. Yeah. I had an experience. No, I know. Oh, Bri- oh. Hey, man, this is Bryce. I was going to tell you, I had an experience when I was filming uh, Willow Creek, which your band should be familiar with. Uh, yeah. But we I were out bring- in, uh, what's that? I was just about to bring it up. Oh, no. <laughs> Willow Creek. Uh, I'll continue my story. Yeah, so we... Uh, we were out and we were getting ready to film a scene where uh, my character and Alexi's character uh, get out of our truck and start heading into the into the woods, the sequoias, to go to uh, uh, the Bluff Creek spot. And and uh, listen, we were we were literally out in the Trinity National Forest in the middle of nowhere, no cell phone reception, no nothing, and it was just a small five man crew. But so we we drive our car down to this one spot where we get out. And all of a sudden, I just felt, and I don't get scared too easily, but the woods got really, really quiet, and you couldn't hear anything. And uh, and there was just sort of a sense of, uh, I don't want to say dread, but uh, there was a really, a real sense of fear that sort of washed over me, like like something was watching us. And uh, I don't know, I can't say as so much as to what it was, but uh, I think it was probably Bigfoot. <laughs> I haven't had... Uh an encounter prior to this show, but my fascination and curiosity of nature and primates was what really motivated me to, to become a part of this. And the idea that in my career could come full circle that I discovered the world's smallest primate and now perhaps the world's largest was also very appealing. But I've never met an exhibition yeah. I didn't like, so I couldn't say no. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, about Willow Creek, um, besides Willow Creek, or including Willow Creek, what do you think? What do you think? Uh, what movie do you think captured the most realistic portrayal of Bigfoot? 
Oh man, that that's such a that's such a tough question. Let's, there's there's a handful of Bigfoot movies out there. Most of them are really bad. Uh, uh-huh. That being said, uh, you know you just kind of have to go with the classics. Um, and so to that, I would say The Legend of Boggy Creek and Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my answer, Harry. Yeah. This is a great movie, though. It's a great movie, you know, and it it, it speaks to the uh, the the more benevolent side of uh, of these Bigfoot creatures, which a lot of eyewitnesses report. Uh, you know, you, you get really both sides of the tale. Uh you get witnesses reporting a, a real sense of dread and malevolence coming from these creatures, uh, even going so far as to say rocks were thrown at them or, or lumber or uh, stuff like that, objects thrown their way. And then you get the accounts where people say, you know, they come up to my backyard and uh, they play with my children, they pick the apples, and then they go back out into the woods. So uh, they're, they're really, they, they live on both ends of the spectrum. Much like humans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what kind of new ne- uh, technology is used? Because you brought up technology, and I know it's written on the website about, uh, you know, you guys are using new de- technology to try to find uh, Bigfoot. Do we use the latest technology we could get our hands on? And that's and basically that means all the tech that you would expect, FLIR, uh, forward-leading infrared cameras, thermals, night vision. We use something called ozonics where we could put our, uh, you know, the outfits of our research members and basically it eliminates, uh, any sort of particulate smell that's in the area, uh, and also on your clothes and it turns it into ozone. So basically your smell becomes completely undetectable. Uh, it's used in hunting and, and we also use some prototype cutting edge defense technology, uh, to help us with sound localization. I thought that was exciting. It All was. I got to play with because this was something that was made for the military and it hadn't even been deployed yet. And we got to use it out there and it worked. Yeah. And that was incredible. Only because this guy that runs the company and does these contracts for the DIA, uh, is a fan and uh, of, of Bigfoot, and he's always thought there was more something to the lore, and so he lent us, uh, you know, his, his cutting edge uh, equipment, which was pretty great, and we used it with great success. Now, I've heard people talk about this before, but I like the, some of your uh, opinions. Why is no, no one ever found a, a dead Bigfoot? This is fresh. Mm-hmm. Dog is a cat that is ill and is going to get away. Just just this week alone, we the porch into a dark area and find a explosion and nothing. I've never I've been hunting my whole life and I've never seen the skeleton or carcass of a mountain lion. Yet I know that there's plenty of them that exist. Same with the grizzly there. I've never seen any carcass or bones left behind that either. So my theory is that they will sell themselves or they will bury their own like human. But yeah. Been eyewitness reports of people um, that have said, you know, they've witnessed Bigfoots uh, burying their young. I know that sounds a little crazy, and I don't know how much weight those reports hold. It's been created to the idea that, yeah, these creatures could possibly be, be burying their relatives. Not only that, I mean, if you've ever flown uh, a small plane over the Pacific Northwest, you, you instantly start to realize and how big 
ones are uh, those woods in the King Sequoia National Area have swallowed in excess of 70 small planes that people have sent search and rescue teams to go look for, and they have still yet to recover those planes. We know they estimate we are able to find That's them. right. This forest has a way of swallowing things up. It's not moving either. I mean, it doesn't I don't want to give away uh, the show, but it, there is a quote on the website that has me very uh, interested and it says, and one of the greatest pieces of video evidence in Bigfoot history is recorded. Obviously, you guys can't talk about that, but I'm sure a lot of people listening will want to check out Expedition Bigfoot this Sunday to find out what's going on.
This is Otto. This is Strobo. This is Strong. And this is Max of the Killer Robots. And we're coming to you live from Without Your Head. Hey! Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> All right, and welcome back to the station of decapitation without your head. I am Nasty Neil, and it is terrible Troy's birthday, so he's not here with me tonight. So a special happy birthday to the co-host, the co-founder, and my very own brother, terrible Troy Jones. I hope he is enjoying his birthday and his birthday dinner. We'll talk to him soon. This is the final episode of 2019 because I'm flying out next week to Hollywood to film a feature film. I'm very excited about this. It's a great opportunity, and I'm going to have a lot of fun with my good friends Michael Epstein and Sophia Cassiola, who I made the short film Umbelicus Adesadera with. But this will be a feature film. I think it will be a similar vibe. But it won't be about my belly button. Not entirely. Maybe maybe we'll get some belly button in the movie. But anyway, can't talk too much about it until it's uh, finished. Or at least it's, uh, it's started, I guess. But anyway, very excited. I'm very uh, much looking forward to this. If you're listening and you're in L.A., we're going to try to set up a day for everyone to get together and you can meet Nasty Neil. A dream come true. But no, it would be cool to uh, to meet as many people as possible. But, uh, you know, I'm only there a certain amount of time. So it's impossible to go and meet everyone uh, by themselves. You know what I'm saying? Unless I'm out there for like a month. But anyway, it's going to be a very exciting time. Later tonight, we are going, well, I'm going to announce the winners of the annual pumpkin carving contest and the costume contest here. Uh, sorry it's been a little late, but I've been a very busy man uh, this last month. But we do not forget, also for people out there, Secret Satan, one of my favorite things. Now, I'm going to be away until after Christmas. So this year it's going to be a little different. I still encourage everyone to send in a gift. You send in a gift, you get one back. It's a really fun time, uh, but they will not be sent out till after Christmas. So it's going to be more of a New Year's kind of deal, I think. But still, send them in. It'll be fun because you'll have your regular Christmas, and then you'll have Christmas with Satan and all the Without Your Head gang. It'll, it'll be a fun, exciting, prestigious, interesting time. So do that, and you can send them in anytime. But just remember, you won't get yours back until a little bit after Christmas. Uh, the uh, 2020 Without Your Head calendar is pre is ready for pre-sale. We had, it's limited to 25. I probably should have ordered more because there are only six left as of right now. So if you want one, you have to PayPal me at withoutyourhead at gmail.com. Only $12 each or two for 20 you can't beat that, but do it fast because there's six left. And after that, there will never be any more. Six left. It's not me, you know, trying to get your, your money because I'm really not making really anything on these. It's really just to get our artwork out there without your head out there. And it's cool for fans without your head 
to have a very cool calendar up there. So 12 bucks each, two for 20, only six left. So if you want one, do it and do it fast because they will not last much longer. Tomb of Nick Cage tonight. We're playing their music tonight. Uh, there's only one show here in December. So instead of getting a music of the month, we're going to play one of our favorite bands and the band who creates our very own theme song, The Tomb of Nick Cage. They're amazing. They've always been amazing. Always a big fan of theirs. And it's really an honor to have a theme song made by The Tomb of Nick Cage. And right now we're playing the songs from Cryptids and Creatures. Go and get yourself a copy. Go and get the CD. Do it. And even, okay, even if you're cheap or whatever, or you just can't afford it right now, at the very, very least, go and give them some love on Facebook.com slash the Tomb of Nick Cage. And that's Nick N-I-C-K. At the very least, give them a like. But go and download some music. Go and buy CDs. Very cool sunglasses, T-shirts, all that stuff. Go and do it. Speaking of T-shirts, you can get the Without Your Head T-shirts right now on Amazon free shipping with Amazon prime. You go to withoutyourhead.com slash Amazon store with a capital a in Amazon and a capital S in store. We should fix that. So either way it works, but at the moment you have to put the capital a in Amazon capital S in store, help out the site and wear cool shirts, Uh big thumbs up and uh, congratulations to the hearts of darkness. The making of the final Friday, they reached their goal. So it will be made. Adam Marcus, a good man. I'm really looking forward to this. And I believe, I believe the nasty one will be in this in, in, in some form. Very exciting. Very, ins- you know what? It's weird. So Umbilicus Desidera, a short documentary. It's won several awards about me. Um, the, uh, the doc, a uh, read unbound, the full length documentary about Joel Reed has also won awards, and I am in that as well. And so I think if you need a horror expert, just a real goofball, it'll be a big plus to your documentary to get Nasty Neil involved. So so I've got, I will also be in B Documentary 3. Very interesting. Well, because that's going to cover the, the rise of the horror podcast. <coughs> Excuse me, and its importance to the independent horror world, and uh, all about how you don't cough into the microphone. You shouldn't use that, but we are not professional here, and so that'd be very cool. And I will also be in Hearts of Darkness, the making of the final Friday. So you've got if you're out there and you're making yourself a documentary about the world of horror in some form or fashion, and you're like, well, I need some more experts here. Maybe it wasn't in the movie, but I'm sure he knows something about it. Let me contact Nasty Neil. And all you got to do is email withoutyourhead at gmail.com or message me on Facebook or the Twitter or Instagram or wherever you do your social medias. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So I'm not going to be here too late because it's just me and uh, it's Troy's birthday. But uh, I'm going to be here just for a few more minutes to talk about some nonsense. And then we're going to ride off into 2019, wave goodbye to the year, and we will return in 2020. It's going to be a good time.
time, 2020. So when we come back, we will have our 666 of uh, the best and the worst films of 2019. That'll be uh, a really good time. Uh, we'll, have, we'll have new music. We'll have new guests. It'll just be a rocking good time, as they say. I don't know who says that, but but I, I'm going to say it. I do have one guest that is confirmed for 2020, and that is Tristan Risk. She will finally be making her uh, debut here on Without Your Head. It's It's been years in the making. It's been uh, set up a couple times, and for whatever reason, it's not happened. So maybe it won't happen again. No, no, we, won't, we, won't, we don't want to curse us. It will happen, but uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully soon. So a couple of things I didn't want to talk about while I'm here is uh, I, I saw that they want to reboot Planet of the Apes. Now, when I first saw it, I was like, why? I love the new Planet of the Apes. I love the original Planet of the Apes. You, you, you know what? This is the thing. You can love the old it. You can love the old Pennywise. That doesn't mean you hate the new Pennywise. You can love the new Pennywise. Doesn't mean you hate the old Pennywise. You can hate them both. You can love them both. You can like one or the other. You can like multiple things. So I love the original Planet of the Apes. Some of my favorite movies. I, I will stand by this statement. The original Planet of the Apes, the greatest ending of any film, any genre ever made. Ever made. That is Nasty Neal's opinion. I love all these movies. They very in degree of goodness and quality, but I enjoy all of the original play apes, including the TV show, short-lived TV show. The, the remakes, the current one's not the Wahlberg movie. That's the only one. That's the only thing that says play to the apes on it. You can rah, throw away into the trash because that is where it belongs. It's a trash film where the original play of the apes, greatest ending I've ever made the Wahlberg claims, possibly the dumbest ending. Possibly the worst ending of any film I've ever seen. Horrible. It made me laugh, which I don't think was the uh, the intent. But then we so flat, fast forward over just fast forward over that one if you ever watch these movies. These new ones. The second one I didn't like as good as the first and the third one, but still was fine. But uh, great, great stuff. I was kind of against the idea of making them, but wow, I really, I really, uh, really liked them quite a bit. And then by the third one. It's not much, you could really watch these, and then the third movie is really a prequel to the original film, and they would totally uh, hold up. And because of the time travel element stuff, you could really watch them as one big, you know, long story. But, um, so anyway, the point was, they could totally do another sequel to the third movie that would kind of lead off, and where the, the original movie starts to happen. And then if you wanted to, you could even do another one, which could possibly be a remake of uh, the original film. Or you might be able to get two movies there before the original film. Either way, you could definitely do that, because uh, the next one could be the, the official end of Mankind, because we started that in the, la in the third film with the disease. Then we could, you know, explore that where, you know, Mankind becomes, you know, subservient to the apes. And then you could do one more, which is maybe the, the rise of Dr. Zaius. That would, that would be great. I would love it. So I was against the idea of a reboot because a reboot in my mind is you restart and I do not want like a whole new, a whole new play of the apes universe world where we start all over again. I do not want that. I want a continuation of these. But then when I was reading it, it said, it's not sure yet if it's a continuation of the last three or if it's a whole new one. So 
to me, if it was a continuation, it's just a sequel. It's not a reboot. But uh, maybe I'm just wrong in these terminologies. I kind of hate this all the reboots, remakes, reimaginings, reinventions. It's all just bullshit. It's just all it's, it's words for the same thing. If you make a sequel to, to a movie that just is modern. Now, if you do a sequel to a movie that's 30 years ago, okay, we're kind of rebooting it. But if it's a sequel to a movie that's in modern day, that just happened, like what, maybe two years ago, I don't think that's a reboot. I just would call that a sequel. So I hope you follow that. Maybe you think this old man just bitching. Maybe it is. But in my mind, I'm right. So the point was just make a sequel. That's all we need. Now, I read, I've been reading this everywhere. Bruce Campbell volunteers to be the new Superman. Now, like everyone listening, I love Bruce Campbell. I would like to see Bruce Campbell as Superman. But I hate these stories. It's not news. It's not news when an actor says, I would like, either they just volunteer and say, I would like to play blah, blah, blah. Or they ask a question interview and say, hey, would you like to play blah, blah, blah? And they say yes. Now, how many actors are going to say, no, I don't want to be a gigantic, uh, I don't want to play a gigantic role, an iconic role in a multi-million dollar franchise? There's not many people who are going to say, no, I want to do that. So it's not news. And it really shouldn't be reported because... It would be more newsworthy if someone would say, I don't want to play that role. And again, it would be just as meaningless because it, it literally means nothing. Of course, Bruce Campbell wants to play Superman. 99.9999% of all actors will want to play Superman. If given the chance, like, hey, do you want to play this iconic role and be paid millions and be part of a multi- hundred million dollar franchise that will span, you know, several movies. Uh, gee, let me think about that. Of course they want to do that. So stop reporting. It, it is not news. Maybe I should start doing that in all of the interviews. I'd be like, Hey, welcome to the show. Um, I'm going to, you know, send this out like a press release, press release. The crew of expedition Bigfoot would love to be in the new Batman. And then people would all like, hey, holy shit, the, the do doctor on, uh, on Expedition Bigfoot on the Travel Channel said she wants to play Harley Quinn. Wow, this is, this is huge news, as said on withoutyourhead.com. Brandon Maggart says he wants to play the Joker. Whoa, holy shit, the guy from Christmas Evil is saying he wants to come out of retirement. And he's going to play the vulture in the new Spider-Man. Whoa, this is huge. This, no, it's not news. It's, it means nothing. Meaningless. But what is not meaningless was that interview with Brandon Maggart. I loved it. Christmas Evil, possibly the best horror Christmas film of all time. And everyone out there knows that Nasty Neal's a soft spot in, in his dark heart for Christmas horror. I love Christmas horror films, even terrible, horrible shit like, like elves. I love it. Elves is just a ghastly movie. It's terrible, but I love it. I love it. So 
good, bad. I mean, there's some great ones like Christmas Evil, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, the original Black Christmas. All of them. I love to various degrees. Gremlins. There's just a plethora of them. Oddly enough, I believe there are more Christmas horror films than there are Halloween horror movies. Now, I don't have the data, but in my mind, I believe there are more horror movies that take place on Christmas than that, that really take place at Halloween. Now, some of them might take place at Halloween and they don't really make a big deal about it, but just, just, just stay with me. But I think it's the best holiday for horror. I don't know why. Sure, I love the original Halloween and Tales from Halloween, a lot of, a lot of Halloween movies, but there's also some crap Halloween, like pretty much all the Halloween sequels. Except for Halloween 3, that's the best Halloween sequel. I stand by that statement, people. like, It's really strange. When I was growing up, everyone hated Halloween 3. I always loved it. That Now I think on the internet, it became like the minority of people who don't like Halloween 3, which in a way makes me not want to like it. But no, no, I love it. But but it, I don't know. There is something about being like uh, the only person who liked it. It was cool. But this is my theory on this: is every town had like they had like a a little section of Halloween three fans. So here in Sandwich was me. Now, if you lived in let's say Cleveland, you know maybe it was ten people, but you didn't live all on the same street or all go to the same school, so you didn't know all know each other. And then, you know, over in, um, you know, in, in wherever, Sweetwater, over in Burbank, wherever, everyone, had, all these places had their little cult followers of Halloween 3. Most of them didn't know anyone else who liked it. Or if you're in a big city, maybe in New York, you knew like two or three other people who liked it. But then this thing comes along called the Internet. So then you have, you know, one guy in Sandwich, you have three guys in Burbank, you have, you know, uh, Bill over here in Sweetwater, you got, you know, uh, five people in Miami, so you got all these people, you got a few people over in Cleveland, they all get, they're like, oh yeah, I like horror movies, so they all start to go to these horror movie websites, and they start to mingle and know each other, and lo and behold, you've got a mass of Halloween three fans that they didn't know existed. It's because there's little pockets of them all around the world, but then they all merge and then they all talk to each other. And then some people are like, who hadn't seen it. They say, Oh, this is a weird movie. We'll watch it. And then, you know, and then it starts, it starts to grow and bam, you have your, your Halloween three uh, fan base. But a lot of it was always there. They just, they were spread out. And they couldn't connect to each other. Because how would you connect to other Halloween 3 fans? You wouldn't. How? There's no way to do it. But the internet makes that possible. So the internet internets can be vile, hate-filled. But it can also be great because you can connect with other Halloween 3 fans like Nasty Neal. There you go. So I'm just babbling at this point. But I'm having a good time. So, uh, yeah, Halloween 3. But... A big thanks to the guest tonight. I think it was a good show. Brandon Maggart, fantastic. I thought that was a great interview. I hope you guys liked it. Uh, we talked about a lot of stuff. Um, Sesame Street and uh, obviously Christmas Evil. And I, some I didn't get to, but I did not know this until I started looking up the man. Uh, the, the father of Fiona Apple 
and he also directed several of her uh, music videos. Wow, fascinating guy. Uh, he also said some stuff that has stuck with me. Interesting. I really, I really like this one. I'm, I'm glad uh, he did it. Uh, the, the people from Expe- Expedition Bigfoot, very fun to talk to them. Um, there was some uh, technical difficulties with their phone, but uh, hopefully it was it worked out okay. Try to edit the best I could, so apologies if there's still uh, uh, if the audio is not perfect. But what can you do? The audio is better than than it used to be back in the day. But uh, you know, hey, it's cool. That debuts this Sunday, so check that out. Go to withoutyourhead.com. Tons of interviews up there. Uh, you know, besides the live show, uh, a lot of interviews that just will pop up there. So there's a bunch of, uh, um, interviews up there that I did at, for the AFI fest. So, uh, go and check those out. A lot of good stuff up there. It's a, it's a cool website. You know, I, I dig it. I myself go there, you know, to upload the shows. But even if I wasn't there to upload the shows, I would stick around and say, hell yeah, this is a hell of a website. I saw this earlier and I was like, finally, the sequel that everyone has been waiting for. The Last Witch Hunter 2. Now, nothing against this movie. I actually saw it in the theater. It was fine. But does any has is there anyone out there who's like, God damn it, I need a sequel to The Last Witch Hunter? I need to know more of the story. Should they change the name? Just like they did New Hope. I'll forever know it as Star Wars. They changed it to New Hope. They should change the last witch hunter to the second to the last witch hunter. So then the last witch hunter will make sense. That they make a third one, they'll be like the the second to the, the almost last, then the second to last. They would it would be continually changing the name of the previous movies. I think this will work. This is my idea. I say, do it. All right. So coming up on Shutter will be uh, Joe Bob Riggs. Will be doing the, the uh, his uh, I believe the second right second Christmas uh, special. That'll be very exciting. Now, I don't. I, I haven't read a lot about this. So I don't know yet. But uh, I don't know if um, if it's gonna be Christmas horror uh, or what's going on. But always exciting uh for people who do dug the lighthouse or wanted to see the lighthouse uh it's coming out in january uh i was not a fan can't say it's a fan i think it looks pretty and uh but i uh, can't say it's an enjoyable film at all i really was waiting for it to end and and wish to never see it again but, uh, you know, there's farts and poop jokes. Very bizarre film. Uh, it is cool to look at. For me, that's about where it ends. I don't know serial killer Dennis Nielsen, but I'm reading here on uh, Arrow in the Head that uh, David Tennant is going to play a serial killer Dennis Nielsen in a three-part miniseries. So that's pretty interesting. That should be good. That guy's going places, I think. So, anyway, let's get to this. Everyone's been waiting for the Halloween costume contest and the Halloween pumpkin carving contest. We have cool prizes from Rockefeller, Abergale, 
and cool prizes from Echoes of Fear. All right, people. So, the winner of the best carved pumpkin goes to Alexander, the son of, of without your head legend, AJ Zilla. Zilla, Zila. I might say his last name, but he's a hell of a man. I just noticed, I just thought of some. Alexander Zila, his initials are XZ. There's can't be many of those. But AJ Zila, his initials are A to Z. I kind of like that. But Alexander Zila, you, my, my friend, You've carved an excellent pumpkin and deserve the prestige and the honor and the prizes that come with it. Best carved pumpkin without your head, 2019. Round of applause. Round of applause. Best costume. I have to admit, you guys were very close to winning this one as well. AJ and Xander, fantastic job. Everyone did a great job in both the costumes and the pumpkins. But here at Without Your Head, we came to agreement. A winner of Best Costume was sent in by Robert Bunzinski for his, his children. My God, these were fantastic. It was a Wednesday in Cousin It. God damn, great job. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a year of the children here. AJ's son and Robert Bunzinski's children have won best pumpkin and best costume. Congratulations. <laughs> Fantastic job, guys. Really, it was excellent. And uh, thanks, everyone, for sending those in. We'll do that again next year. Good time. All right. So, again, thank you to the guests. You guys are uh, guys were great. Thank you to the Tomb of Nick Cage for supplying amazing tunes all year round. And really out there, people, go out there and get yourself a CD. Don't be a bum. Do it. Thank you to everyone who listens all year round. Thank you to Terrible Troy. And, of course, thank you to the headless critic, Jason Mitten. Go and read his review of The Lighthouse, of the movie Rattlesnake on Netflix, Dr. Sleep. The Headhunter, which I'm looking forward to. That is coming to Shudder. Red Letter, Harpoon. Countdown, movie I missed, unfortunately. The Fair. Zombieland, Double Tap. Satanic Panic, The Hole in the Ground. All kinds of films. Go check those out at withoutyourhead.com. He reviews some older movies, newer movies. He is, I used to say the hardest working man, but... I don't know. He's kind of he's kind of bumming out here lately. Oh, he's he's working hard here. He's got three reviews up already in December. All right, all right. doing a little better there. Doing a little better. All right. Until next year. This was nasty Neil. That was terrible Troy. And this, my friends, is without your head. <laughs> <laughs>
repent your corrupt ways and try to escape the whip and snare of the one who waits. Grant my your naughty mom all the things that I will do. I break the back, hypnotize a nightmare come true. The wicked spawns not the only ones. All must feel my pain. 